let's pray, and we'll dive into God's Word today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you're so good, and I just thank you that today we get to open your Word and, and allow it to change us. As we preach from Psalm 1 today, and then as we memorize it throughout uh, the summer, I just pray that you would allow it to transform our hearts and minds to change us. Lord, thank you for this beautiful atmosphere, for the birds chirping in the in the background, for the light, gentle breeze, for the sun and the, the trees. Lord, I'm just so thankful for your creation, uh, that we're all creatures of our God and King, that we may lift up our voice and sing and praise you. So we pray for these next few minutes as uh, we open your word that you would speak through it. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so what, is it, what does it take to be happy? Is it finances, a nice house, a nice car, great vacations? Is it relationships? Do you have a good boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse or maybe behaving kids or close friendships? Is it your vocation? Can you, are you happy if you have a great job or meaningful work or, or purpose? Our country was founded on the principle of life, liberty, and the what? Pursuit. Of happiness. Even the founding fathers recognize that they can't promise happiness, but they can have a free country where you can pursue it. What if I could show you a way to be happy and prosperous? Would you be interested in that? What if the Bible actually gives a formula for that? Well, let's read. Open your Bibles to Psalm 1. Hopefully by now you could do Psalm 1-1 by memory, but we'll read the rest of it. Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. And if you like me, you memorize that in a, in a different version, and you keep mixing up those different things. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now Psalm 1 doesn't have a listed author. And, and last week Pastor John talked about the structure of the book, and he outlined uh, the whole book of Psalm 1. And he talked about how Psalm 1 and 2 were kind of an introduction to the whole book. And because he did all that groundwork for me, I'm not going to go into those details. And we're just going to dive right into verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. This word blessed is used 26 times in the psalm. Some other examples are Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. Psalm 34. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in God. Psalm 89, blessed are those who walk in the light of God's presence. And here in Psalm 1, blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it. This word blessed could be, uh, could be translated happy. Happy are those who. It could be translated content, satisfied, and implies enjoying God. In the words of Gerald Wilson, it's the idea of happiness that flows from a sense of well-being and rightness. In the words of R. Kent Hughes, it describes being supremely happy or fulfilled, a deep sense of well-being. So the question today is, are you happy? 
maybe you've been listening to the song. Maybe on the way to church this morning, you listened to the happy song from the Despicable Me movie. And you're like clapping along because you were happy. I don't know. Maybe you came today with a lot of burdens. You came frustrated. You came with anxiousness and worry. And happy would be the thing that was the farthest from you. Well, he begins, he says, happy are those, blessed are those, content are those, satisfied are those who do not. He begins the blessing with a negative. Don't do this. You're like, well, that's a weird way to start, but haven't you found this to be true in your life? A lot of times we experience blessing when we choose not to do things that are harmful to us. We've all experienced the consequences of sin and how often that can lead to frustration and and futileness. He said, blessed is the one who does not, what? Walk, stand, and sit. There's this progression. Walk in step. Walk in counsel with the wicked. Stand in the way the sinners take. Sit in the company of mockers. Uh, the progression is this. First, you start by by walking with them. You're, you're listening to their advice. You're hearing what they're saying. You're, you're surrounding the, yourselves with their thoughts. Then you start to stand in their way. You start to do the same things. You start to walk like them, be like them, live like them, talk like them. And lastly, this last step is that you sit in the company of scoffers. It's dwelling with them and now trying to influence others to join you in your lifestyle. Trying to convince others to be like you. There's this progression even amongst what the people are called, who we're not supposed to walk, stand, or sit with. First, there's the wicked, which is just a generic term for, for somebody that's against God's purposes. And then sinners, those that are breaking the commands of God. And lastly, scoffers, those who brag about those sins, those who mock the righteous, those who say that what the righteous are doing is actually wrong and what we're doing is right, those who have pride over their sin. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Romans 1 says, Although they know God's righteous decrees, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. To be happy or blessed is to say no to those things. It's to say no to be influenced by all these exterior focuses. Now, we will get back to this at the end, but I think as Christians, one of, the, one of the hardships that we come about is oftentimes we think of Christianity as a list of do's and don'ts, and that we have to avoid these things, say no to these things, and say yes to these things, and, and, and it becomes this thing where it's all about workspace righteousness. Um, so, uh, many of you know I have, I have two Afghan teenage refugees live with us, and, and uh, for one of them, uh, the paperwork's not working out, things are not working out the way... He wants it to, and so he's he's doubling down on, on his religious activity and trying to be more and more and more trying to influence uh, God to give him the, the the results that he wants. And uh, and in Christianity, that's that's not that's not how it works. It's not if we do these good things, then there'll automatically be these specific blessings. And when you read Psalms one, the question is, who is this talking about? Who is this? Man, this hypothetical man. It can't be David. Uh, David committed adultery and murder. It can't be Abraham. Abraham uh, lied about his wife. He, he doubted God's blessings at times. It couldn't be Moses. Moses killed a man and ran away and hid. And he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And so this blessed man, 
really ultimately points to the future Messiah, Jesus. He's the only one that fully embraced all of these things. But as Christians, what are we called to do? We are called to be conformed to his image, to become more and more like Jesus, to pursue him and his purposes. And as we do that, then we participate and become like this blessed man. So that can be comforting for us is that even when we make mistakes and we walk in step with the wicked, even when we are influenced and we stand in the way that sinners take, and maybe even we get to the point where we're mocking those that follow God's righteousness, all we have to do in those moments is if we turn back to Jesus, come back to our Savior, we can experience forgiveness and we can also be blessed. Psalm 32 said, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin, who, who sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit, in whose spirit is no deceit. It's this idea that we can come to God and he wipes our slate clean. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. See, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, how much you've turned away from God. If you come to Christ, you can be, in the words of Paul, washed, sanctified, and justified. Because if you want to live a happy life, a prosperous life, it's, it starts with forgiveness. It starts with recognizing that you are a sinner in need of grace and asking for God to forgive you. So blessed is the man who does not do those things, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. This idea of delighting in God's word. Do you delight in his word? There, there are different things that in, in this world that we delight in. Um, this last week, so I started keto about a month ago and uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, I don't remember, but you, know, you get 20 net carbs a day. It, it, it's, it's not fun. But I'm losing weight again, so it's good. It's good. I like it because you can, you can eat as much meat as you want and you're still good. Uh, but it's basically a diet of like meat, cheese, and green vegetables. Like if it's a white vegetable like potatoes, it's out. Well, every once in a while, uh, I just plan a break. Because they need a break sometimes. Just for a day, one meal. One meal. Like every two, three, four weeks. And so this last week, Carl was at camp, and I decided to go to, to uh, Craig's Cruisers with Joshua. And they had a deal that included the buffet. And, and so I said, this is my one break. I took my pills so I could eat gluten. And I had pizza. And oh my goodness, when you don't eat pizza for a month, some of you might not be pizza people, but I'm a pizza person. I was in youth ministry, that's like a requirement. Mountain Dew and pizza, that's, that's like, if you're a youth pastor, those are the two things you have to like very much. Oh man, it was so delightful. Like every bite was like, where has this been in my life? This is amazing. And I had pineapple. For those people that say pineapple doesn't belong on pizza, you know what I'm talking about. It was pineapple... Bacon, ham, all on one pizza. It was a, the sweet and the sour and the, and the cheese and everything. It was delightful. But, but do we treat God's word as a delight? As something we enjoy? As something we look forward to? Or is it, is it a burden? And here he says, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Now the word law for us often 
is a, a negative connotation. We think of laws, we think of the speed limit. Oh, I don't want to go 70 when I could go 75 on I-69 or north on 131. But aren't we glad for those laws when we're in our backyard and our kids are playing and there's a 25 mile an hour speed limit? What would it be like if there was no law? You'd be flying down the road 70 miles an hour. It'd be dangerous. Laws in our country are designed for our protection, or at least they're supposed to be. Well, in the same way, God's law is designed for our thriving. It's designed for us to be blessed. He said, delight in the law of the Lord. This word Torah it just means instruction. It's more than just the rules and the commands. Now, originally the Torah was thought of as the Pentateuch, those first five books of the, of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But as things progressed in the New Testament, when it talks about the law of the Lord, it quotes Psalms, Proverbs, other passages, and refers to all of them as the law of the Lord. And so in our context, when we think, blessed is, is he who delights in the law of the Lord, we should think the one who delights in the whole of scriptures. But what does the law do? Psalm 197, I want to show what it is and what it does. Psalm 197. You can turn in there in your Bibles if you'd like to. It's verses 7 to 10. The law of the Lord is perfect. You, you realize that? Uh, we live in a country with imperfect laws. that have flaws because they're written by imperfect people who have a sinful nature. But God's law is perfect. Refreshing the soul. Think about that. The law is designed to refresh the soul. Now, now, here's these four things. Statutes, precepts, commands, fear, decrees. Let's, let's look at them. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. See, God has given us statutes. He's given us precepts. He's given us commands. He's commanded us to fear Him. Uh, he's given us decrees. And we think of all those words, often statutes, precepts, commands, in a negative sense. But what do these precepts do for us? This passage is saying they make us wise. They give us joy. They give us light. They endure. And they help us become righteous. So these laws of the Lord, God's word, is designed to, to help us thrive in life. To be blessed, to be happy, to experience the Lord's blessing. Verse 10, it says, They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. It's this idea that God's word is more precious than anything else that exists because in it is a picture of the blessedness we can receive when we walk with our Savior. So we're called to delight in the law, to delight in all of God's words. Now contrast that with the actions of verse 1. As someone who delights in God's word, we're called to walk with the righteous, to stand with the forgiven, to sit with those that are kind. But ultimately, those actions really come down to the heart. Blessedness and happiness doesn't come from picking the right people to hang out with. It comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes from delighting in God's Word, meditating on His Word, finding your satisfaction in Him. I once heard someone put it this way. If you search for happiness, you will probably have a hard time finding it. 
But if you pursue God and His righteousness, happiness and joy will often find you. Delighting in the law of the Lord isn't just delighting in the do-nots. It's delighting in the do's. It's delighting in the whole of Scripture, including passages about God's grace and His mercy and His love and forgiveness, but also passages about His holiness and His justice and His transcendence. It is delighting on God's call on our lives and trusting that He knows what's best for us. And we're called to meditate on it day and night. That idea of, as Andy said, about thinking of it constantly. The idea of the cow chewing the cud. And you watch cows chew, and they just chew, and they just chew, and they just chew. I remember uh, when, my, when my boys moved in, and they were talking about my steak. And, and they said, I don't like American steak. I said, why? Because it's, it's really hard to chew. I said, no, that's because I bought cheap steak. <laughs> so the expensive steak isn't hard to chew. And when that gets on sale, you'll experience... Steak, you don't have to chew very hard, but, but today, if you look at the prices of meat, we're getting the cheap steak. So, yes, you have to chew it a lot. I'm sorry. But the idea is that this, this chewing the cut, this thinking about it, that's why we introduced tear journals. It's the idea that when you read God's Word, it's not, it's not enough to just read it and then go, okay, that was good and close the book. You need to, to think about it. What does it mean? How can I apply it to my life? How can I live it out? What steps can I take? to respond to what I've just read. That's why in discipleship groups we ask people to talk about their devotions and, and, and what in the devotions, what changed them? How do they apply it? That's why in, in life groups we ask you to, to have applications from the sermons or from your life group lessons because it's just we, we need to be meditating on God's word day and night. And what would your life look like if you did that? If you delighted in God's word every day? Throughout the day, if you meditated on it, if you thought about it day and night, if in the morning you opened this word and there was something in there, and then all day, you know, you just notice God's grace and forgiveness, and all day you just dwell on that thought as, as a stressful time comes to, to recognize, well, I'm, I'm secure in God's love. See, it brings this happiness, this blessedness that is not dependent on circumstances. Verse 3, that person is like a, a tree planted by streams of water, which yieldeth fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. What happens to trees or plants when they don't have a water source? They die. I mean, you can look at the grass right now with no water source. See, in Israel, there are some locations where it's really difficult for plant life to survive. But by the Jordan River where there was plenty of access to water, plants would thrive. So when a tree was planted near the water, it had this endless supply of nutrients to bring life. And so what's the effect of being planted in those, near those streams of water? It yields its fruit in season, and the leaf does not wither. It provides fruit, and it endures, is another word to think of. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul is talking about the church in Macedonia. And he's talking about their giving. And he says this, In the midst of very severe trial. He doesn't say in the midst of a great time, in the midst of a time where they experience a whole bunch of prosperity, in the midst of time when, when everything's going right. No, he says about this church, In the midst of a very severe trial. And if Paul calls it severe, it probably was severe, knowing what he endured. Their overflowing joy 
their blessedness and their extreme poverty. Those don't seem to go together in our culture. We think of poverty as, as something that brings sadness. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So they're experiencing this tremendous trial, and it's quite possible it's because of their faith that their, their businesses suffered. And they're experiencing extreme poverty, and in the midst of that, they have this joy, this unrelenting joy, this overflowing joy. They're living the happy and blessed life, and they not only give what they are able to, but they gave abundantly more than they were able to because of the joy that was in their hearts. You see, blessedness or happiness and prosperity, it's when struggles come, when hardship comes, when afflictions come, that doesn't have to affect our joy, our happiness, our blessedness. When we delight in and meditate on God's Word, we dig our roots into God's Word, which produces fruit. And so the psalmist says, whatever they do prospers. Whatever they do prospers. And you go, what? They were living in extreme poverty. That is not prosperity. And you may look at your life and the times that you are really following the Lord, and you may ask yourself, during that time, was my career full of only successes? Did everything go exactly the way I want it to go? Or did I experience hardship? Were all of my physical maladies healed? When I was following the Lord, I, I didn't throw up my back turning the wrong way when I was sleeping. Not that that's ever happened to me. Is your family a reflection of that perfection? When I was following the Lord, not, there was no problems with my family. My kids got along great. They never argued. They were perfect little kids. They went to school and all, all the teachers were like, your kids are just perfect. <laughs> when I was following the Lord, all I experienced was blessings. There was no hardships. I never lost someone I loved. I never dealt with a uh, sickness that I didn't enjoy. I never had any financial troubles. Everything worked out. Oh, that can't seem to mean what the psalmist is saying. I mean, even when you look at Paul's life, who wrote that about the Macedonian churches. He was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was bitten by a snake, all these crazy things. And what about evil? Psalm 37 and Malachi 3 and a lot of other passages talk about how some evil and evil kingdoms experience success and prosperity. The kingdom of Rome was a very successful and prosperous kingdom, yet it was evil. So what does the psalmist say, what does the psalmist mean when he says, whatever they do prospers? Because if we recognize that it can't mean that just everything goes just the way you want it to. I mean, the prosperity gospel in America is if you follow God and you pray enough and you give enough, that God will make you happy, wealthy, and wise. Romans 8 is one of my favorite passages in the scripture. And it says, what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Graciously give us all things. What does that mean? Does that mean God will graciously give us a mansion and a BMW and a healthy, happy life? Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? 
It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus Christ is interceding for us on our behalf. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now he starts to say some things we will experience in the middle of a blessed life, in the middle of a happy life. Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famineness, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword. For it is written, now he's going to quote Psalms. For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things. God even sometimes gives us these things for our character. As Pastor John talked about, the thorn in the flesh, how it brings perseverance and character. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we walk with Jesus, we experience His love and grace and mercy, and we have a relationship with the Creator of the universe who created us for a relationship with Him. And that is the blessedness, the thing that brings happiness, the thing that brings joy, not dependent on our circumstances. 1 Corinthians 15. Death has been swallowed up in victory, or as one of our songs said, death was arrested. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that what? Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, because you know that your labor in the Lord will prosper. So stand firm. You're going to face hardships. You're going to face troubles. You're going to face persecution. You're going to face difficulties. But stand firm. Why? Because your work in the Lord will not be labor in vain. Because it will prosper. Ephesians 6, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good, each one, for whatever good that they do, whether they are slave nor free. God will bring about rewards for what we do. It doesn't mean the rewards will be earthly. It doesn't mean they'll be economic. It doesn't mean that they'll be uh, a cure disease. It doesn't mean they'll be sometimes the things that we want and hope and pray for, but that one day... God will reward each of us for whatever good we do. And because of time, we need to move quicker through these last three verses, but then I want to wrap all this up. Verse 4, not so the wicked. The wicked are not blessed in everything they do. The wicked do not experience this blessing. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. When you get wheat grains, and and what they would often do is they would take their hands and they'd roll it in their hands that would separate the wheat from the chaff. And, uh, and so then they could eat the, the good, nutritious parts of the wheat, and they could just throw off the rest in the air, and the wind would take it away. Um, every, every week during golf, when we play with the, the more skilled players, they pull out some grass, and they throw it up in the air to see where the wind's blowing. And I don't do that because I'm so bad, it doesn't matter if the wind's blowing that way or that way, it's still going to go out of bounds. <laughs> but the idea is that 
that this chaff is, is useless. You, 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 you weed out the wheat, you get what's beneficial, what's good, and you just throw the other stuff in the wind, and the wind just takes it away because it's useless. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Earlier we see the wicked were standing in the way that sinners take, but the final judgment, they won't be able to stand. They won't be able to stand before the righteous judge, Jesus Christ. For the Lord watches over, looks after, knows, approves of. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. There are two paths. One leads to destruction. It's a wide path. Many will take it. But there's this narrow road that leads to life. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I want to make sure you get this. This is about a pursuit. None of us are going to be perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. It's about a pursuit. Uh, I heard Alistair Begg this week say, Just like the shepherds run, ran to the manger to find Jesus... We need to run to the Bible to find Jesus. The best way to pursue God is to read his word and be changed by it. So as we wrap up, I want to give one clarification and three applications. One clarification, three applications. First, this verse is not saying that we shouldn't spend time with unbelievers. That we should isolate ourselves and only spend time with people who know Jesus and love Jesus. That's not what this verse is saying. We see Jesus walk with, dine with, eat with the sinners, the tax collectors, the outcasts. Time and time again, he was being accused because he was doing that. But, but what did his interactions with, with those people, is the way they would phrase it in those days, do? Well, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was changed by his interaction with Jesus so much that he gave half of everything he owned to the poor. And he, would, he said he'd repay anybody who he had wronged, who he had cheated four times what they paid him. The woman who was caught in adultery, they wanted to stone her. And Jesus said, whoever has the, whoever has not sinned, cast the first stone. Everyone walked away. He had never sinned. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Now what did he say? Go and sin no more. You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. He called her to change. The woman who washed Jesus' feet, as, as she was washing Jesus' feet, the Pharisees were like, if you knew who this woman was... You wouldn't talk to her. You wouldn't let her touch your feet. You wouldn't let her anywhere near you. And Jesus said, I didn't come to save the righteous but sinners. And he tells the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Time and time again, as Jesus walks with the broken and the outcast and the sinner and, and the people that the rest of society says, don't spend time with them. As he did that, they were changed by him. See, he didn't changed to be like them, they changed to be like him. So the big question is, are you influencing your friends, or are they influencing you? All right, three applications. 
One, the source of this blessed life is not our stuff, and it's not our circumstances. God doesn't promise to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. He doesn't promise that every business decision we make will flourish. He doesn't promise that we'll never experience health or death. He promises that you will prosper like a tree planted by streams of living water. That a relationship with Jesus changes everything. It changes what happens here on this earth. And it changes your eternal destination where eventually you will be at a place where there's no pain, no sorrow, no struggle. Second, Christianity is about our heart and our direction, not about our perfection. Our heart and our direction more than our perfection. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in God. Blessed is the one who walks in God's presence. Blessed is the one who delights in God's law and meditates on it. See, God cares about our heart. That's why David is called a man after God's own heart. David, a man who made so many mistakes, made so many big errors, and they continue to turn to, to Jesus. And that last application point is just we need to look to Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our Savior loves us. And maybe you're here today and, and you've been trying to be happy by finding all these things that will fulfill you. You've been working two jobs, working hard to earn enough money to have a good vacation, a good car, and a good house. Or you've been, you've been trying to find relationships, hoping that they will fulfill you. And you think, if I just find the right guy, find the right girl, then I'll be satisfied. Or, or you've been jumping job to job or just really dissatisfied with your job because it just doesn't have any meaning. You go to work every day, you go home, you clock in, you clock out at the end of the day and you feel like, is there anything more to this life? Well, I would tell you, yes. His name is Jesus. And he loves you. And he came and willingly entered this earth to walk as a human, fully God and fully man, and died on the cross for your sins so that you can have life. And he says to, to you, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me guide you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when you allow God to put that yoke, to, and you put a yoke on an oxen, oxen to guide it, you allow God to guide your life, you walk in path with Him, then you experience this blessedness, this happiness, this joy that is not dependent on circumstances. So may we be people that do that. And if you are here today and you never put your faith and trust in Jesus and you want to know more about that, please come see me or Pastor John. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, explain the gift of salvation. It's a free gift given by God. It's, you don't have to earn it. It's something that he paid for on the cross. So let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your goodness. and Thank you for these reminders. Lord, it's so easy to seek after all these things that we think will bring satisfaction. Lord, you say when we delight in your word, when we think about it, when we think about it day and night, that everything we do will prosper. Lord, help us not to frame that prosperity in ways that we want to be, but help us to recognize prosperity and tremendous riches we have in a relationship with you both now and forever and that one day we'll have no more pain no more sorrow no more hardship and we'll experience the blessings of a life lived for you 
Lord, as we are ready to enter into this time of communion, Lord, I just pray that uh, that you would uh, bless it and that it would be a time of remembering. Amen.